How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Pillar Performance's famous triple magnesium is finally back in stock. Triple magnesium is the product that I first bought from Pillar Performance and made me fall in love with and trust the brand. If you haven't tried it yet, you just need to. As an athlete, you'll never go to bed without taking triple magnesium 30 to 60 minutes beforehand again. You honestly just sleep so much better. And that means you wake up fresher to train and live your life. I personally was the world's worst sleeper and it literally changed everything for me. Not just my training, but because of how much more energy I had day to day as well. I combine it by using Pillars Ultra B Active with breakfast or like my pre-morning, my pre-morning training meal, which is for me is just some toast, um, which by the way, the same routine as Jan Fredino taking triple magnesium 30 to 60 minutes before bed and then Ultra B Active in the morning before he trains with food. And I've never had more energy for my morning training and it lasts longer than that. Like I'll get to 2 or 3 p.m. and still be feeling full of energy. Head to pillarperformance.shop to get some for yourself or just Google Pillar Performance. The triple magnesium always sells out so fast. Like so many people have messaged me, messaged me asking like, hey, I hear you talk about it, but I haven't been able to buy it because it's not actually available online. So it's finally back in stock. It came into stock a few days ago. Get in while you can. If you're just getting one tab, one tub of triple magnesium, use the code HTT10 for $10 off it. Or if you're getting multiple tubs or getting some Ultra B Activists on the side or any other products on the side, then use the code HTT20 for 20% off your order just because it works out a little bit cheaper. It's free shipping when you spend over $80, by the way. All these details, because they're a bit confusing like that, will be in the show notes for you to go and check out. Holly Lawrence, welcome to How They Train. Holly, this is a conversation I've wanted to have for a long time because you won the first ever Ironman 70.3 World Championships that I was at live. Uh, I guess being an Australian, those races don't don't happen over here very often. But back in 2016, the, the race was up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, and it was a crazy race because Daniela Reef had basically already been handed the trophy, the, the winner's trophy before the race even started. And I would say that you beating her and winning that race was one of the biggest upsets I'd personally seen in triathlon up until that point. Maybe actually one of the biggest upsets in triathlon ever. So I want to start the conversation there and and maybe get you to take me through that race. And then afterwards, we'll, we'll go before that race and talk about your training in the lead up to that because you've had a lot of outstanding results in your career. You know, you're one of the best middle distance female triathletes or just triathletes in general, to be honest, the world's seen. But that race there might be, might be the best thing you've ever done in your career to this point. Oh, for sure. It's the best thing I've ever done. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, 2016, that was a long time ago now and pretty much, um, you know, the catalyst for, you know, actually I get to say that I have a career in triathlon, which before that point, um, you know, it was just a pipe dream. I was racing for prize money, um, just really never thought it would materialize into anything, but just loved it. And that day was a crazy day. And um, I think I really benefited coming into it. So kind of unknown and, um, you know, had a great swim. I, you know, tucked on the back of Lauren Brandon, came like caught a wave, which like never happens, caught a wave in, um, cause it was like obviously an ocean swim. 
um, yeah, came out just with her on this after the swim onto the bike and then just kind of rode away from everyone and never believed all the time splits that I was getting all day, which was just getting bigger and bigger. I thought the motorbikes were just having a laugh with me, telling me just absurd time splits and yeah, just kind of ran away with it. But, you know, um, obviously Daniela was the favorite going in. Um, and that was kind of the biggest thing that I didn't, I didn't win. And Daniela came second. Dan, I can't even remember what, where Daniela came that day. Um, she was kind of way down. She had a, a really bad day for her. And um, so, yeah, I always want to beat somebody on their best day. And I didn't get Daniela on her best day then. So I would have really liked to see, you know, where I would have measured up to her on her best day back then. She came fourth. Like it wasn't like she had the worst day ever. You just, I actually watching that race thought you were the reason that she had a bad day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it wasn't necessarily that, that I, like, I don't think she had a shocking day. I think you just rode so strongly that she had to try and ride quite quickly early. And I don't know whether maybe the travel got her a little bit, maybe she wasn't on her best day and wasn't as fit as she could be, but everyone had to ride so hard to try and keep up with the way you were riding that everyone blew up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just had, I had a great day. It doesn't happen very often. And, um, but yeah, kind of leading up to it just had a really smooth, you know, smooth build up. won a bunch of races just on the way up to that. And then, um, kind of led with that, but still really under the radar, um, all the way up to that race. And, even um, I was pitched as one of the five favorites um, for 70.3 Worlds. And I remember thinking, God, why am I included in this? Like doing the NBC interviews and I wasn't, you know, giving them what they wanted when they wanted me to be like, oh yeah, I'm going for the win, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I'm just going to swim, bike, run as fast as I can. And, you know, I really got to like avoid a lot of that pressure. And um, looking back, it was just like, yeah, I just got to have fun out there. Can we go a little bit more deeply into that that lead up to that race? Because you were in really good form. You sort of, to me, like that was a time when I was following triathlon so closely and you sort of burst onto the scene in like Vineman and you won Canada, what was it, Montremblant, did you win actually? Yeah. Uh, um, and then into the lead up to 70.3 Worlds. There was talk that you were like, a chance but no one was saying you were going to win it like no one was really saying that um so it sort of makes sense that you yourself didn't fully believe you were going to win it and then from there you went on an absolute run like your 2017 year was insane like you must have won about 10 70.3s in 2017 the next year um so what happened in the lead up to those those like that run of races in 2016 that culminated in the Ironman 70.3 world championships win and then went on to be another 12 months of winning just about everything you were on the start line for what what happened in the the lead up to that period what were you doing in your training what what was your training looking like yeah so um I moved to the states back in early 2015 um because I was started to work with Matt Dixon which a lot of people don't know, I think now, because it was like so long ago. And, um, you know, I was training kind of in a group environment and it was more like a train, like a permanent training camp, uh, which I did really well with, but I was just kind of in one hole after the next. And I was just, you know, either doing superhero workout days or then in a hole for four weeks and 
you know, then it was like, shall we get blood tests and whatever else? I was just kind of in periods of overtraining and early 16, I reached out back to um, the bike coaches that were coaching me like in years prior to that, which was train sharp. And they basically just like worked me out of my hole. Um, and I was just kind of, so I obviously did a bunch of work in like 2015 and had okay races, but I had kind of some injuries some spells of fatigue and illnesses and things. And then kind of just was on a really steady, solid progression in 2016 and just kind of gained momentum from there. And yeah, I won like Oceans and uh, not Oceanside. I came, I think it was like third in Oceanside. I, I can't even remember. It was so far away, but like I, you know, I think I took the bike record at Oceanside and people didn't know who I was. So, you know, if you hadn't followed me from being in the UK, you would have thought I've just come out of nowhere, which a lot of coaches did. And, you know, even like Paolo Suso, I was just talking about this the other day and got all fired up about it. Paolo Suso and Joel Filiol, they accused me of doping just before <laughs> I actually won 2016. Uh, world champs and I was really like just young and just kind of didn't say anything and back then I wish I'd well now I kind of look back on it and wish I'd kind of reported them to safe sport or something like that because you know they just in that position they shouldn't be doing that what happened there I I didn't know that story what did they say where did they say it oh yeah so Paolo started it um and it was just kind of on slow twitch and he was just acting like, a, you know, an internet troll. Um, and kind of if, you know, the next race I won, it would be like saying on Twitter, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And people are like, oh, you're the duck. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like a bunch of nonsense and TRS ran with it at the time. Do you remember that podcast? I do. Yep. Um, and yeah, it just was a bit silly, which I just kind of ignored, but because they, they just realized that I was with a bike coach and I think someone else who was connected was Sean Yates, who was in the old cycling era and thinking that I'm connected to him who has, you know, I think he had some kind of doping violation in his time with cycling. And, you know, I'd never met the guy. I was coached online by Elliot Lipsky who's a you know fresh out of university um cycling coach at the time now he's you know gone on he's with Alpha in Phoenix now but yeah like it was just absurd so um that was just kind of background noise that I had to deal with which just brought got brought up the other day and I got all fired up about it I actually want to ask a few more I, I, I find this really interesting that you're just talking about this because what usually happens in these situations is it just gets brushed under the the rug a little bit and someone in your situation wouldn't be saying this on a podcast. They would just pretend it wasn't a thing. But the fact you're talking about that so openly and talking about two of the world's probably most famous, most well-known triathlon coaches <laughs> is that's like that never happened. So I can't just bounce yeah. off that. Was was it just because – so the the connection was that your cycling coach who was your – I'm assuming it became your full-time triathlon coach then or just for your cycling? Just cycling, yeah. Okay, so so the cycling coach that you'd brought on, he had some connections in his cycling like coaching company or did he maybe worked for it with Sean Yates who 
you know, uh, was I think he might have got done for doping when he was and then he maybe brought it into some other teams when he was working with them. And because of that and the fact that you started racing well, yeah. these two really well-known coaches were comfortable publicly saying Holly Lawrence is probably doping. Yeah, totally, totally, which was like totally crazy. And, you know, I was advised not to say anything at the time, which I just, I, I think I once like wrote a strongly worded letter and then deleted it and you know it's just a cathartic activity at the time but and I was getting like interview requests from TRS like every week and they were they were going on saying like so what do you think about Holly and doping like it was just kind of dragged up every week and I just had to sit back and not say anything but you know I just I mean I'd love to meet the freaking guy uh Paolo Suso I just I think it was just totally inappropriate that he was a coach to USA triathlon at the time and was acting like a total Twitter troll that had no, you know, shitty information and was just kind of running with it just because I was beating his athletes. Well, it's crazy. And you're telling me that the only bit of information they had that they were running with was the fact that Sean Yates was somehow connected to that coaching company. There's, they, yeah. they, do, they weren't <laughs> saying anything else. Yeah, totally. They was they were saying that it was kind of a I listened to one podcast that him and Joel um were on and and I think they assumed just because I was coached under the you know train sharp umbrella, um, I think they must have assumed that I was being coached directly from Sean Yates, but you know, never spoke to the guy, never <laughs> never had any kind of interactions with him. And even all of my coaching was done over the internet on today's plan yeah that's crazy I, I did like I expected to talk about a lot of things in in the podcast today but that's a that's a, quite a crazy story I didn't even know that happened and like I was you know following triathlon back then but I have no memory of that but yeah it sort of blown my mind a little bit it, it I mean good on you for talking about it because if that's all they were running with that's quite a uh, feeble line to draw that someone is you know taking EPO or whatever I assume that's what they they thought you were doing no idea no idea what they assumed but it was just it was just so outrageous that I I you know knowing what I know now I just I shouldn't have just you know well I mean there's no should or shouldn't but I with with their positions in coaching athletes and in USA triathlon and other federations I definitely should have said something because you know they can go on and do that to other people and you know people may not have dealt with it as well as I did so yeah that's that's all and this was just before the Ironman 70.3 world championships win that this was happening yeah 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 because I remember in Montremblant because Heather Wertel um, was someone I was racing and she was super frosty with me, I think, because all of this in the background. Um, and I remember we didn't have drugs testing after and and she, I think she like, you know, I just, she went on a blog after, said, you know, she was depressed. She thought doping was really bad in the sport. And I think it was just because she wasn't really performing well anymore. It's a wild story. Um, I guess like you were riding extremely well. So it's sort of like one of those things. It's like almost like a perfect storm a little bit where you, you were but for a long period of time after that as well, even to this day, still to be fair, 
you were riding, like you were the best cyclist in the sport without question at that point. So can you talk to me about what you and it was Elliot Lipsky, your coach at the time, did you say? Um, yeah. what, what were you guys actually doing in that build-up to get you to that point from where in 2015 you were going through the, the injured sick cycle and to the point at like, you know, Montrembant, Weimann, 70.3 world champs, you were riding the legs off everyone you were racing, including some really strong cyclists like Daniela Reef, for example. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't doing anything crazy. Just, you know, it was just solid, nothing, you know, because I think I I get fatigued pretty easily and um, like so any kind of like really high intensity bike sessions, I would just take too long to recover from and just get like zapped super quick. So like more of the like sweet spot efforts, um, kind of building those up and just long rides, um, I kind of really benefit from. And I think I'd just like done so much work in 2015. Um, cause like I, I biked some crazy numbers in 2015 that, um, I don't know if I've ever really replicated. Um, but you know, it never led to like a good race because I was, you know, getting fatigued and getting in a hole or whatever. So, um, but yeah, just, just having like a solid, nothing crazy training really in 2016, which actually Elliot did post like my whole training progression for the year which I I never reposted because I was like oh that's a lot to put out there <laughs> but um yeah I'm sure you could go and find it if you were if you were really inclined to <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make a point to go and find that after this yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna post it on my Instagram for sure because that would be fascinating to look at <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so when you say you were doing like a lot of that sweet spot work and and you really benefited from like so not not the not the high intensity stuff a little bit below that around sort of like just below threshold stuff and long rides what does mm-hmm. that look like specifically like how many long rides were you doing a week how long were they how many of these sweet spot sessions were you doing a week what were they yeah I mean I, I would have to look back at um 2016 but I mean at least one one like sweet spot like building up to like three by 20 minutes um like on just under threshold and just doing like maybe three three hour rides a week maybe a longer longer ride and then something that was like shorter and harder and did that work out to be quite a lot of volume or was it like how many hours a week roughly do you think you were doing on the bike yeah on the bike I think I've I normally kind of hover around I'd say like 12 13 hours a week is that right ish I think I'm really bad at numbers so um yeah and if you compared it to that year before where you were training with um you know like doing the some of the the sessions that you've never replicated since how were you doing a lot more and were you were you riding a lot harder yeah no it was just more that like you know like whenever do you get to go like because before I think it was like 10 days but do you remember the 2015 70.3 worlds were in um Austria I remember it wow one of my favorite races ever oh yeah um so so the climb was like 35 minutes long and I remember I think it was like eight days or nine days before the race I went up and just did you know all out 
for, for the client, which like, you know, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't get to do that now. It's like, you know, more measured. And so it's not that I, you know, don't do anything that replicates it anymore. That's maybe me just, you know, talking. Um, but I just, yeah, like having those numbers to be like, I biked X amount of watts for 35 minutes or whatever it is, like, and then you know eight days later or nine days later have a terrible race because obviously I left it all out there like the week prior but um yeah it was more just like yeah doing those kind of rides that weren't yeah would just kind of put the nail in the coffin it is quite like crazy the difference in that year from the 2015 world championships to the 2016 world championships because that 2015 70.3 World Championships might be Daniela's best performance ever where she, I think she won by like 11 minutes, maybe even more, maybe like 12 minutes. And mm-hmm. like she rode, you actually didn't ride that slow compared to everyone else that day. Daniela rode like nine, 10 minutes faster than you, I think. And, you know, you rode like you were pretty much the best of the, the, the best of the rest kind of thing. But then the year later, it's crazy the turnaround in she's done that to everyone on that 2015 70.3 world champs bike course. And then the next year you basically did what she did to everyone else the year before on that bike course. So it is, it is quite crazy that that difference in that year. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, I went to Bahrain, um, in, was that 2017 thinking, all right, okay. I get to, was it 2017? Yeah, oh, yeah. End of 2017, you you won Bahrain, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. But I I was like, right, okay, like see where because I think it was the next time that I was racing Daniela. Yeah, that was a great race, by the way. I loved that race too. <laughs> like you people people now who are just getting into triathlon, I don't think they remember this era of Holly Lawrence. But fuck me, like. This period, like just remembering these races, you were as good as anyone's ever been. I sort of said in the intro at this middle distance, like that race, that Bahrain race, Arne Haag was there, Daniela Reef was there, Emma Pallant was there. Um, who else was there? It was a big stacked field and like you just made everyone else look not on your level, to be honest. Well, no, if you actually watch the race. So I was in the lead, like, like okay, right, this is going to be a race. And then Daniela passes me like I'm stood still on the bike. And I was like, oh, God, okay, right. I'm racing for the second place now. And she dropped me like a stone. And and then it was only in the run that she was coming back to me. And I was like, oh, my God, Daniela effed up. Like, uh, but, yeah, she outbiked, She just biked past me like I was a pedestrian, like, it was crazy. And I thought, you know, at that point, like, oh, maybe I can bike with Daniela. And she proved, you know, that was in the same time that I was, you know, super confident in my biking that she just like totally just ripped away from me. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things. Daniela's always done well at those courses where she can like push a bit of a bigger gear, stay in her time trial position or like a long gradual climb. Whereas that 2016 Australian 70.3 like world champs course I feel like that course suited you far more than it did Daniela where it's like there was punchier climbs there was more up and down some more technical sections do you agree with that yeah I don't know I think also like the race dynamics really helped that like I 
I love being a front runner. I was kind of, you know, in a really opportune spot coming out with Lauren Brandon. She had a little airtime for a few minutes and then I was like, okay, see you later. And and then, you know, Daniela, I think was, because I, I got to see people on the turnarounds and like I saw they were just kind of in a group and then you maybe get a bit of social loafing happening. It's hard to pass a bunch of people and she's kind of a marked person, whereas I'm kind of, you know, out there on my own, get to do exactly what I want to do. So, yeah, I think the dynamics help too. And I guess like I don't want to get stuck on this error, but can you just, because I'm a little unclear on it, you were getting your cycling coaching from a, a specific cycling coaching coaching business at the time. What was happening with your swim and run and how were you managing to like put it all together? Yeah, so um, Sean, my partner, he he did my running back then um, and he, he um, does my running now. He was like, you know, a legit runner in his, in his day and then did triathlon and he was really helping me train back in uh 16 to like out on the bike he'd be on a road bike I'd be on my time trial bike and he'd be like pacing me through efforts and pacing me on the run so that super helped too but yeah so they would just kind of like piece it together um collaboratively and they do now they yeah it's the same have you had that same coaching setup ever since then no so um Elliot so he was he was with train sharp um, which was just a UK um, cycle coaching company. They're amazing. Um, anyone for you know that needs any just cycle coaching in the UK, that I think they're brilliant. Um, they actually gave me my first power meter before power meters were like everywhere. Um, and I've got a. What did you ask? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just said, someone. have you had that same coaching set up ever since yeah, then? Yeah. Um, so then he he was writing workouts um, for Zwift for a um, I think it was like a, one of the cycling teams anyway um, like to be a to become a pro on their pro team and so then he got he got taken by I can't even remember what pro team it was at the time I can almost remember what colors they were but it was like Deconic Quickset maybe yeah Deconic Quickset yep. Were they blue and white colors? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's them. I may have, I may have got it wrong because yeah. I'm not so emotionally attached to any of them. But um, so yeah, then he, he kind of dropped me um, because he, you know he just got a big gig with a uh, real cycling pro comp, uh, you know, pro team, and didn't know whether he could, you know, do me at, with, you know, coach me at the same time. So then I got put on with another coach with train sharp that I didn't gel as well with um and then started working with Dean Golich uh, from Carmi- Carmichael training systems for I think it was two years which happened to be like just after my navicular break and uh up until the end of 2020 I think and then that's when um I reached back out to Elliot. He, you know, swapped a couple of cycling teams between that time. And he was like, yeah, I've been doing it enough time that I, I know I can, yeah, coach you at the same time. So, um, yeah, we just restarted where we left off. And then, so I guess like how I want to break this down as how we talk about it is 
I want to jump ahead to now instead of going through that whole time period. And then I want to come back to a few things. How yeah. has your training changed from that period that let's let's call for the for lack of a better word, your glory days when you were on start lines winning everything to now where you're definitely not in that period, but you're still highly competitive. Like you're still definitely a top 10, 70.3 or middle distance triathlete in the world. On your day, you you know you're definitely capable of winning big races and being on the podium at, at seventy point three worlds and PTO races and that kind of thing. But you're not dominant like you were back then. Has has your training? How has it evolved? How is it different now today versus what it was say before the twenty sixteen World Championships? Yeah, to be honest, it's not really the difference in the training. So back in twenty nineteen, I won. I think maybe four regional 70.3s um, came second at 70.3 world. So I wouldn't say there's, you know, 2019 was the last year that I was like, you know, feeling racing the way that I, you know, want to race. Um, that's the year that I want to come back to. That's why I've done it this way, because yeah. I think that's probably your best year ever, arguably. I've forgotten that year. I'm like, oh, it's not been that long. <laughs> no, I love, like that 70.3 Worlds was, you, I think you were better in Bahrain that year than what you were when you won it in 2017 as well. Like, I want to talk about that year a lot, but yeah. yeah. So in, so 2019, December, I went to Bahrain, great race, whatever. And then I got sick after that race, which I believe was COVID before oh, COVID was COVID. Wow. Um, it was like, I was sick as a dog. I went back to the UK. Um, anyone I was in contact with got sick. Huh. And like, I gave my grandparents pneumonia, my brother. And then I went back to LA. I was just like, you know, bent over when I was out running, like hacking along. And then I think it was like weeks later that I went to the doctors like, okay, it, like what, what is this? Why isn't it going away? And they were like, you don't know how sick you are. You've got walking pneumonia. Like you shouldn't be out, let alone running, whatever you've been doing. Hmm. Um, and then it was like weeks later, my back from coughing, like, went out I couldn't sit on a bike for a while like I was like in a mess like I ended up getting an epidural like it was it was bad and kind of since then like I had like fatigue and like I just just you know wasn't feeling myself and um I was still with Dean at the time and we were we were kind of peeling back from the numbers a bit more and being going off feel and like um and I, and by the end of the year, you know, I think it was like Daytona, Daytona happened because not, you know, not much really happened in that year. Um, and, you know, we were like, well, what was that? Like, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not racing the way I should be like, and then that's when kind of, I went back to, you know, find Elliot and be like, can we just, I need to know where I'm at and I need to get back just hard numbers and, you know, figure this out. So it's really the last two years of just not, you know, have, have just been kind of backpedaling a little bit. And it's not really been about the training. It's been more about like me and feeling, um, you know, the way I used to again. And, and I feel like just kind of mid last year, um, 
I kind of get started getting glimpses of like me training the way I used to and like just a bit more consistency and um so yeah I'm just like excited that I just like I want to get back to the way I train the way I race and um that's why I'm really hopeful for this year the back end of 2022 or like maybe from like mid 2020 maybe from like Collins Cuppy I would say or maybe even like Canadian Open there was definitely like you did look like oh you're close and that was sort of how the whole year felt watching you was like you were so close to having a big result but you were like a lot of just off the podiums at all these massive races like you were just off the podium really at like um, the Canadian PTO Canadian Open, the PTO US Open, like you could have just about been on the podium in both of those races. Same with like, you weren't that far off at the world champ, the 70.3 world champs, let's be honest. Like you were pretty close to, again, like a few little things go differently in that race and you could have been on the podium as well there. I think you ended up fifth or sixth. I can't, I already can't remember. Um, so you are, <laughs> you, you were very close, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm just... You know, I was racing with the cards that I had, which I'm like, I know, I know where I'm at and it's not where I want to be. So it just like, it was what it was, but it wasn't like, I wasn't stoked about it. I wasn't like, oh, this feels so good. Like, you know, um, so yeah, I'm just, that's why I'm just like, can't wait for, you know, winter training and just digging in. And, you know, there's been a lot of things that have changed um from mid last year I started working with a nutritionist which has been huge and I think that I've possibly been underfueling for the last how many years um yeah which has been key I've obviously moved to Boulder now um I was all about training in LA for you know years being like I can't do winters anymore I've done my time in the UK and now I've totally reneged on that and I'm loving kind of doing a winter here and having so many people to train with so yeah there's been a lot of changes too i always looked at you training in la and i just would think to myself surely that cannot be the place where holly can get the most out of herself it just doesn't seem like it it has the things that we we sort of associate with the perfect place to train like you know long mountains a little bit of altitude it has the heat it has a beach and stuff but it doesn't it never seemed like like you don't really see many world-class triathletes come out of LA do you yeah I mean I think they used to because like Mackie used to train there a bunch I think like um there have been coaches that have been based out of there and and like the riding is insane like you know over the winter I think I think Gary Thomas is there right now because like and he spends a lot of the winters there. Chris Froome spends a lot of the winters there. Um, like the cycling is insane. It's amazing. And running's fine. You know, we don't run as much as like an actual, you know, a true runner would run. So it's not like, you know, there's just less options, which is fine. And I had, I had some really good training partners over the, you know, beginning few years, um, which for me, I think is just key. Like I, I love my training as social time. I love like kind of racing people and I need, I need to have people around me to help me get the most out of myself. And, you know, the people that I was training with and their circumstances would change. And, um, I kind of lost a good few like bike buddies and Sean, who was like doing, you know, most of my training with me, he then, um, started working and, 
Um, so yeah, just like a lot of changes. So then the move to Boulder, we just tried it um, a little last year just because we have friends here. And then we were, I was just like, shit, I don't want to leave. Like, I love it here. So we just kind of made the move. And so you said um, a little bit before that, that you're not quite where you want to be, but you know how you've got to get there. What is it that you have to do so that in 2023, this year, you can have the results that you want to have? Yeah, honestly, it's just it's just like consistency. It's just like chipping away at from where I'm at or where I have been and getting to where I want to be, which is not it's not anything crazy. It's just kind of week by week. And and I feel like, you know, I am making those improvements and I'm like, oh, I can I just, you know, don't want racing to be anytime soon. I think I heard heard on something today that like Oceanside is in four weeks or something. I'm like, no, Crazy, no, I need hey. more time. Yeah. more time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I'm like enjoying training. Like I feel like my energy is back and you know, just little things like that. I just it's it's more of just like a feeling and like before it's like like when I when I feel like I'm training the way I do like I get excited pushing myself whereas like for so long it was like I I push and then I'm like wiped and it's like it's slowly killing me um so I think yeah it's it's been a bit it's been a lot of a lot of things I think nutrition has been a, a huge part um Scott uh Tyndall and his app Fuelin have been helping me and yeah that's been huge I think my ferritin was like through the floor and that's been kind of bumping up slowly by slowly so I think that's been helping and and yeah just just chipping away this is something I really wanted to talk about because you were one of the first like really big female triathletes that I remember openly talking about food and eating disorder and body dysmorphia amongst female triathletes and at the time it really resonated with me how openly you were talking about it um and you've just brought up that that nutrition and food uh, and the way you're eating is is playing a part in this so i won't ask too long a question could you maybe talk everyone through what happened back then like re- what what was happening with your eating and your um your your sort of like i don't know i'm not going to say did you, if you had an eating disorder or not but a bit of body dysmorphia and that and and how that's evolved over time yeah, I mean, I was pretty open with it back in 2017. So it was the year after I won, um, came out super aggressive, early season. I think I won Oceanside by like 10 minutes or something. And I would like kill myself to the line. Like I had everything to prove that like to my sponsors, I wasn't going to be a disappointment. And, you know, I really like, I didn't handle the pressure too well of um, suddenly like having people to, behind me that I was so scared of disappointing and um it was like middle of the season I picked up a little foot injury it was like a little plan to play tear and it was I don't know six weeks before world champs in Chattanooga and um I started running on an altergy and I did a sports science degree you know I've always known better and I've always kind of accepted maybe not loved that you know I felt like I was bigger than most athletes but I accepted that that made me strong and you know I wasn't 
didn't have to look like everyone else. And um, I was running on an Ultigy and I was running at like 10% less of my body weight and it, my foot didn't hurt. And it just kind of clicked that I, I just lost 10% of my body weight and I did it really easily. I just restricted carbohydrates and I was failing all my bike workouts. I felt really shit about it. I, you know, wasn't swimming great. And, but then, you know, during that, everyone was telling me how amazing I looked, how fit I was (laughs) when when I, you know, they're they're just looking at me and being like, oh my God, you're going to win. You look so fit. You are fit, you know, whatever. And I honestly just, you know, fell into that trap of, you know, enjoying that instead of, because at the time I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great about the way I was training. Um, and yeah, just kind of, and, you know, fast forward to the 70.3 world in Chattanooga, I had the worst of my life. I like fell running out of the water and I was always already like middle to back end of the group. Um, I think I like biked my way into fourth place. I honestly thought if I carbo loaded the night before, it'd be fine. And um, yeah, I just, I just didn't have any energy. I didn't have any fight in me and um, pulled out of that race. And then, and then it was only really because like during that time, even other athletes were asking me like, what am I doing? Am I working with a nutritionist? Just because I looked fit like just because I had abs. Um, and I, I honestly felt like I had a responsibility to tell people what had happened instead of just brushing it under the carpet, just, just, you know, so you don't just like show you looking, you know, emaciated, but idealistic in an endurance space. And then, you know, not really telling the other side of the story of, you know, what, what actually impact that had so yeah I was kind of really open about it at the time and um and never really kind of struggled with that you know since the plantar plate tear went away um Lawrence Van Lingden I don't know if you've ever heard of him um my foot doctor at the time was like oh if it doesn't go away we'll just shorten that toe so I just had pain on impact for months and um Lawrence Van Lingden, who's like a bodywork guy, um, like fascial stuff. He like rubbed my belly and my foot for a couple of hours and it went away and I, it never came back. So, uh, yeah, I kind of dodged a bullet there and then, um, but yeah, I've, I've not really struggled with, you know, body stuff since then, but I, I always felt like, you know, maybe I, needed to restrict carbs more than some people like I would just gain weight and that's really where working with Scott and Fuelin has really helped kind of from mid last year that um it's kind of given me the confidence of exactly what I do need and it's like all it's all of the data from um my training what's planned is pulled into the app and then I have my like my new my um complete nutrition plan based around that so it's been like super easy and um yeah it's been really transformative it's absolutely crazy isn't it that in this world if you look really thin 
people associate it with you being super fit, even though it isn't necessarily the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I th- honestly think it's amongst like most most endurance sports, um, which, you know, it does have some kind of truth to it. Like, you know, obviously with body weight, uh, power or whatever, but, you know, at the compromise of, of power or under fueling yourself, you know, there's, there's only a certain time you can get away with it. And especially in, especially in like long course racing that it, you know, it's being strong um, and resilient that really pays off. And, you know, that's the kind of athlete I've always been. And that's the athlete I want to be. And like, not to take this away from a conversation about you too much, Holly, but can you imagine how many age group triathletes there are that get involved in the world of like long course triathlon and have the mindset or like say to themselves, oh, if I could just lose like five kilos, I'd be so much better. Or, and then they like, per, like just permanently struggle with that of like, oh yeah, I'll try and lose a bit of weight. And then they put it back on and then they try and lose a bit more and then they put it back on and all in this like endeavor that, oh, if I could just lose this arbitrary amount of weight to look a little more like that, that I'd be better. And really like the, for the vast majority of people, all it does is like, lead to this really negative cycle of like um of like slightly disordered eating or like bit of like feeling shit about yourself and you go through like this roller coaster of like feeling shit about yourself losing weight feeling shit about yourself losing weight type of thing and comparing yourself to someone who maybe like holly lawrence in 2017 looks like the perfect athlete like oh if i could just look like that i'd be so much faster <laughs> and i'd be so much happier yeah but that's what i wanted to highlight well exactly this is what it gives you at DNF sitting on the floor like a maniac being like yeah I'm done <laughs> yeah, it's also like and again not take it away from you too much but it's why I love like what Olav Alexander Boo is saying at the moment and particularly when it comes to Christian it's like hey just we got to start to look at how we're fueling our training and our racing not not under fueling to try and get this arbitrary result like it's like fuel means that you can train more or train harder and get fitter and i love that sort of that approach to it that fuel that fueling equals like power you know yeah totally and um and honestly that's that's what you know scott and the app that i've been working with fuel in that's been like everything's framed around my workout so like even the day before a hard workout like i have a high carb day just to get myself ready um, for the next day, which like before I would just never do. Yeah. I would take in a bunch of carbs for like a, you know, higher intensity training session and then maybe straight after, but like, I wouldn't increase like, so that I hit my training and, um, kind of like have everything as planned as it is now. Um, I'm like, even for those high intense like, uh, training now, I'm like, doing my kind of like race nutrition which like before I'd never do because I thought oh I'll get fat for sure (laughs) if I'm having like 100 grams an hour which at one point we were like let's see how high we can push it and I'm like all right because like you know at the the first when I when I started with Scott I was just kind of like okay well I'll be fully in but we'll just see how it goes and the first couple of weeks I'm like I'm eating so much carbs that I'm like for sure gonna put on weight and it was like the opposite I like leaned up felt better 
and I wasn't craving chocolate and, you know, I wouldn't stop by Whole Foods and <laughs> cave on something because I was like really, you know, fueling for what I needed. And it's just been like, yeah, super enjoyable, brought a ton of foods back into my life that I haven't, you know, had for years. Um, so, yeah. It, it is funny how often when you're stuck in sort of like that mindset like you used to be by the sounds of it and a lot of like this is like absolutely everywhere in age group triathlon it's like where you under fuel and restrict and then you just end up like eating way more as a result but you just do it in shorter periods like you might under fuel for three days or a week or whatever it is um, or just even a day and then like 24 hours later after a hard bike session, you've eaten 15,000 calories in 15 minutes, you know, whereas what what it sounds like you're doing now is like it's way more consistent and it's consistent fueling that means maybe you're not wanting to like go and binge eat because you're not starving and then going into these massive like calorie deficits. Yeah, and I think just like hormonally your body's not in some kind of like, you know, scarcity. Yeah. Uh, feeling so you actually just like your whole body's more relaxed and you're like actually able to just take on you're not storing you know it's not like you're in like storage mode exactly there's a lot of study about this about like stress hormones and under fueling in endurance training and the like negative impact it has on like you know like your cortisol levels being really high and that kind of thing and the negative impact that can have on a whole range of things whereas if you're not doing that you know i guess the 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 opposite makes makes sense that those like those stress hormones probably aren't as high in your body and and everything is probably running a little bit more smoothly and and your body is a little bit happier so that you're not having these like big like falls into energy like holes and 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 therefore not not being you know storing like as like not getting as um as like yeah not getting stuck in that really negative cycle um but anyway yeah we there's so much more i want to talk about so um I guess like a big thing with you that I want to talk about is um, the current state of triathlon. Like, cause I feel like you have been someone who has gone through like two distinct cycles of like triathlon. And, and that's like the people who sort of retired around 2017, 18, 19, like Heather Wertel is the perfect example of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got the new breed of, of triathletes, you know, like think about these days, like Ashley Gentle and Taylor Nib and, and even younger girls than that, but like Lucy Charles as well. Um, do you think that the the racing right now in 2023, 2022, 2023 is stronger in the female side than what it was when, say, you and Daniela Reef were, were the dominant athletes in 2015, 16, 17? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to tell. So it's it's definitely deeper it's definitely deeper than it was like before it would be like you know a couple of people like Danielle if Daniela wasn't there um yeah it was like you know now you've got you know Paula who is phenomenal on the bike Taylor Nib who can (laughs) you know what she did on in Collins Cup on a road bike I think, didn't she just get out biked by Jan by like six minutes? And we were all like, oh, she's going to get destroyed on a road bike. (laughs) She had a gels taped down her frame and like, yeah, I mean, she's just defying aerodynamics. And (laughs) um, so, yeah, like it's just way deeper. There's more, there's more depth. Um, I don't know if the top end is 
you know, drastically improved or not. Obviously, like it's getting better and better each year, but I don't know. I think it's more the depth that's that's the biggest change. Taylor Nibby is a fascinating one because like there's there's been a couple of really dominant cyclists over the time. So obviously like female cycling, female like long course triathlon has gone through a massive period, like a 10-year period almost where races since probably like Miranda Carfrey, um, races have been won on the bike. They, they really have. Anne Haag sort of maybe shifted that a little bit, but even that's she's sort of caught overcome again by the really strong cyclists. And to a degree, I feel like the cycle, like the bike leg in female long course triathlon is is more important like compared to the men's bike leg. Just so many races are won and lost there and you're a perfect example of that. You basically won your 70.3 worlds on the bike. Daniela basically won all 10 of her world championships on the bike. Taylor Nib won this year's 70.3 world championships on her bike. It, it just seems to be happening since, since probably, yeah, since Miranda Carfrey retired. Do you do you look at something like what Taylor Nib did at the 70.3 world championships this year and do you think like, oh, can can you bike to that level again in 2023? Do you think that that you can go to a race with someone who's biking like that and can you still be the best cyclist in the world? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've never, you know, I've never been in a position where I've biked where I should be biking at the same race that she's been at. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, even when you know, me and Daniela were both at our best, you know, it's, there'd be some times that I outbiked her and there'd be other times that she outbiked me. So I, it's, it's just really hard. It's hard to tell, like, we're not obviously exposed to each other's numbers and weights and everything like that. And just kind of really get to, and you've always got your cards to play, you know, Taylor, Taylor seems to like, you know, struggle a bit more in the run which, you know, that's only a matter of time before, uh, she, you know, she's still super young and she's still um, progressing in the sport. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just hard to tell. I'm, I only really focus on myself. Like I don't stalk people on Strava. I don't want to see other people's powers. It's just like, I want to bike, you know, the power that I think that I can get to and, you know, out bike myself and, that's the way I, you know, I looked at it when I was, you know, at my best. And you know, that's, I think, what pays off for me. And do you know your race schedule this year, Holly? Yeah, so still um, figuring out, but I think, I think we kind of got it down. So I start in Oceanside, which will be, you know, just an early season race, um, still kind of building fitness at that point. It's still kind of, I'll consider it as pretty early. And then PTO, Ibiza, um, not all the information is out about that yet, but we have the date and we know it's going ahead. So um, I think the PTO races will be really interesting this year. Uh, so I'll definitely hit that, um, the US Open in Milwaukee. And it'll be interesting <laughs> whether we do Singapore the week before Finland. I think that'll be kind of a TBD um, during the year decide um, there is a direct from Singapore to Helsinki so it's not out of the realms of possibility but yeah you just have to see how the season's going and you know what's the smart play for that um, and then just like pickle in and a few you know 70.3s around that I think Boulder works out with timing and I'll be here 
so it'll just kind of be a home race while I'm you know in training and um I think maybe 70.3 Montremblant was something that I kind of penciled in but yeah just kind of the PTA races will kind of take precedent and um 70.3 worlds and some other 70.3s that's what I was going to ask is if you could only win one thing this year what would it be oh yeah that's hard because right now it's kind of this you know uh yeah we're all kind of hedging our bets you know with PTO but still doing I think I think right now it would still it would still be best to win a 7.3 worlds and it would prove that's why I've always like wanted to win another 70.3 worlds to prove that the first time wasn't a fluke yeah yeah I see that for you do you do you think what's the equivalent do you think winning two PTO races is the equivalent to winning one 70.3 world championships or is it three PTO races to one 70.3 world championships? Like how many PTO races would you have to win before you would pick that over a 70.3 world champs? Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know because like you can, you can get an as stacked start list for a PTO race as 70.3 world. So it's more than just like what financially your sponsors, you know, give you for that and everything else that comes with it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. This week, I used my form smart goggles while I swam five times. That's crazy for me because I don't remember the last time I swam five times in a week. I was always a once or twice a week swimmer because honestly, I found it really hard to get motivated and a little bit boring. But like I've talked about before on here, my form goggles have literally changed swimming for me. They make training so much more interactive, more fun. They keep me accountable. And I'm so bloody motivated swimming in them because I can see the pace I'm swimming for each rep and average for my entire set. I did a session this week of 10 times 100 meters um, in 120. I think it was last Thursday and I always go out way too hard and I'm completely dead by about the fourth or fifth rep. But being able to see my pace has made it so much easier to hold that exact pace I want to swim per 100 meters without doing my first one like five seconds too fast and then completely blowing out and being five seconds too slow for most of my reps later in the set. And then on the weekend, I I sort of wanted to use like the fact that I have the pace on my goggles. So I did a fast 400 Uh, And that's something I usually find almost impossible to pace and go out way too hard. But I wanted to do it um, because I just wanted to see if it it, it was easier or whether when you do something that's timed, you just naturally go out hard. But I wanted to hold 122 and it was on my goggles and I just held it the whole time. And I swam way faster than what I did about three weeks ago when I did the same thing without the goggles. Um, So that was a really good test to see if the form goggles do actually make me swim faster rather than just making things funner or make me a little bit more motivated. They, they really do. Um, because like as soon as it goes to 123 on the goggles, you just put in a touch more effort. And then when it went to like 120, you just put in slightly less effort. It's like so simple um, and sounds so obvious, but it, it really has made me a faster swimmer over those longer reps. And it's just all there in front of your eyes the whole time. It means that you don't have to wear your watch while you swim as well, which I absolutely hated. Like I used to hate having my big bulky Garmin on my wrist. I love my Garmin. I just didn't like it while I swim. Um, so this not having to wear the, the watch while I swam has been an absolute game changer for me as well. Trust me, 
Every single person who swims needs a pair of form goggles, particularly those of us who weren't lucky enough to be doing swim squads since we were five years old and have picked up swimming later in life. It just makes things so much easier. Head to formswim.com and get yourself a pair now. Use the code HTT15 for 15% off and using the code HTT15 also gets you a year's free premium membership, which has heaps of free swim programs um, or swim sessions on it. Using the HTT15 code not only gets you 15% off your goggles and the free premium membership, but it also, it helps the show. It supports the show. All details, again, will be in the show notes. And then awesome that you do an Ibiza as well. That's only nine weeks away. Um, the Yeah, the reason I know that, I'm going to ask you, put you on the spot on the podcast live, is... I'm doing a series <laughs> called The Road to the PTO European Open, which is like um, it's got Colin Chartier, Frederick Funk and Mika Newt. And what they're doing is every week they're coming on the podcast and they're just each of them take turns in ta- like talking about their training week Monday through to Sunday. They just like say every session they did and then they just ask each other questions about it. Like so Colin might be like talking about his, his bike session on Monday and Mika might interrupt and like ask a question about it and they just do that. And they're doing that for 10 weeks into the PTO European Open. They'll do the race and then they'll do a recap episode afterwards. Does that sound like something you might be interested in doing for one of the later season races, like the US Open or the 70.3 World Champs? I mean, maybe. I mean, you're not going to guilt me into doing it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll have to listen to one. If it's super boring, then. <laughs> I mean, like, because <laughs> you're not hosting it, are you? No, it's just, just those three boys. <laughs> down to it yeah i don't know i'll have to listen to it first it wouldn't be boring if you were on one of them though you got to keep that in mind well yeah maybe maybe you need me (laughs) (laughs) hopefully uh people can get on your social media and post on uh, your comments and help me guilt you into doing it Yeah, if i get enough votes maybe i'll uh I'll put something out there. Yeah, literally. Everyone should just go to Holly's last Instagram picture and just tell her how much you want to do uh, road to the PTO <laughs> US Open. Uh, <laughs> Holly, with Oceanside being so close, with IBs are only, you know, under 10 weeks away, would you be able to do something else that I love on the podcast? Would you be able to take me through your last week of training, like your last Monday to Sunday of training? Okay. So from Feb 13th to 19th? Love it. Okay, so Monday is a recovery day. I have kind of like three mini recovery days, but not like a whole day off. So Monday, I have an easy 30 minute run with six by 20 second strides, uh, hour easy swim and a gym session. Um, That's with Erin Carson, who I've been working with, who seems to work with everyone in Boulder. Um, And I've just, you know, changed gym this this year and it's kind of been a focus again which I've just kind of dropped the ball on for the last couple of years uh Tuesday is a kind of like heavier aerobic swim like an hour and a half um then like a four hour steady zone two ride um I actually rode with Ruth Winder uh the last week and her zone two and my zone two maybe a little different so it was a really good ride um and I hope we continue uh, Wednesday, kind of a harder swim, like an hour and a half, um, just some like higher intensity, like threshold. 
then just an easy 45 to an hour run. Um, Thursday, Thursday is like a harder day for me. So I have like um, just under a two hour ride with um, like threshold capacity um, pyramids. So I have like seven blocks of five of like alternating like over and under threshold. Um, then I have a run. I'm not doing any like fast stuff right now. So I'm more just being on the treadmill, just doing, um, like kind of like getting up to threshold, but at like three to 4% incline. So it's just more being like strength work. Um, that's like nine miles an hour, um, session and then a gym session followed it with Erin again. Um, and Friday is kind of like a lighter day, easy 30 minute run, um, 4K swim, and then just under two hour recovery ride. Um, Saturday, an hour and a half swim, and then a three hour ride with um, last week it was three by 10 minute sweet spots. This week it'll be three by 12. Next, the week after next, I'm sure it'll be three by 14. So, you know, just like increasing week by week. And then Sunday, I have a had a 14 mile run. Um, I kind of run my long runs kind of faster than some people do. It's like seven minute pace um, with uh, and at altitude. But um, so they're kind of like, yeah, not not fast, but then they're not slow. Um, and then kind of soonish after a three hour 45 ride with 30 second sprints every 30 minutes. That's quite a bit of training, isn't it? It's a really balanced week though. Like that's what I kept thinking. Like this is super balanced. Like that doesn't seem like you, like it wasn't a week full, like dominated by cycling, running or swimming. It was like, it was as balanced a week as I've probably heard. Yeah. Um, and I get like lots of little pockets of recovery in there. So like, yeah, I don't have a full full day off but then I have like three just lighter days so like an easy day easier Monday Wednesday Friday but then like longer Tuesday hard Thursday long Saturday and Sunday and yeah I mean for the last I don't know what it's been like six weeks or something I've averaged like 27 hours a week which is kind of bigger for me but I just like yeah just kind of been getting in um the momentum of it and only only in the last week actually even started doing those like um you know even the sessions in it like the sweet spot or the um threshold capacity session like before that I was just doing like cadence changes of like three by 20 minutes at 90 to 120 rpms minute by minute changes which I hated but so I'm so glad that phase is done but yeah it's it's like pretty balanced yeah I really love that structure like I've obviously heard a lot of different structured training weeks um, doing this podcast and from talking to people for years um, in, in the world before that. But that is like one of my favorite structures I've ever heard. And are you just doing that same structure week in, week out and will be going forward? Yeah. I mean, like I said, um, the last like four weeks, the, you know, just a couple of those sessions were changed, like tweaked a little bit, but like same kind of structure now for the next how many weeks, like even my sweet spot efforts will be exactly the same, but adding like two minutes per effort each week. So like, yeah, it'll just be like exactly the same. I know where I am week to week. 
it's just kind of a building thing, which I like. I like, you know, structure. I like knowing, you know, the same. Mm, yeah. There's not very often I would say like to an age group, or like go and look at how that pro did their week. But like people could, age groupers could take something from that structure, like less volume, obviously, obviously barely any age group can do 30 hours a week, but that's like a great structure. Like if you wanted to a framework to like, you know, do slightly less of that, I would definitely point people at the like the Holly Lawrence episode from now until I find something I like better. But yeah, I really and and that's just you and Sean who have come up with that. Yeah, me, Sean, and Elliot. I mean, like I say, me, not me, Sean and Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and a few specific things. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, is is all that bike riding on your TT bike at the moment? No, so my time trial bike is set up on my trainer and I've been I've been mainly going on the road bike uh, when I've been outside and then if it's on the trainer I'm on the time trial bike but like in the next few weeks I'll switch more to time trial especially when the weather gets a bit better. And so when you do your running Holly mm-hmm. when you're outside doing those long runs that are like a little bit faster are you wearing like a safe shoe or are you like, cause you wear Nike shoes. I'm pretty sure still, yeah. don't you? And are you like when, when you're on the treadmill doing those sessions, are you wearing like a race day shoe when you're out doing those faster long runs? Are you in a race day shoe? Can you talk to me about like what you wear and why? Yeah. So I run nearly like hundred percent of my running in the, um, the next oh, percent. No, the training version. It's oh. like the tempo. Yeah. The tempo next percent. No, they're not. It's not the next percent, (laughs) but it's called, I think it's called the tempo or the zoom fly. No zoom fly. Oh, you wear the the zoom fly. Yeah. 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 Which I love. Like, I'm like, I've had every, um, iteration of it. I think now they're on like version five or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I love it. It's the same like shape as, you know, the next percent or whatever, but it's like, it doesn't obviously have a carbon plate. It is a training shoe. But you, it's it still feels a bit nicer than like a you know a heavy training shoe and like yeah I just love how it like it gives it gives me a better transition like um like off my foot so I, I yeah I just do all of my running in that and I'll only wear um like next percents or whatever when I'm um starting to do like fast work which won't be anytime soon. Only one thing on that, Holly. You know the Zoomfly 5 does have a carbon plate. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Does it really? Yeah, it does. They've, no, it doesn't. The Zoom, no, the Zoom, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. It doesn't feel like it so much, does it? It feels like a little bit more like sure a it's not a plastic plate? No, it's, um, no it's, got a, it's got like a carbon plate now. They call it like a fly plate. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I believe you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Nike Zoom Fly Fly. Oh, God, that's a tongue twister. Yeah, Zoom Fly Fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, blimey. Yeah, this says a full-length carbon fibre plate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I better run a bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, right? The carbon plate isn't the magic. The foam's the magic. Uh-huh. Like the the PBAX foam's the magic. So it, do, it doesn't use like the same PBAX foam as like your Next Percent or your Alpha Fly. Um, but that's – so just to go back – this is why I was interested in this because you do seem to wear like faster, like faster in quotation mark shoes all the time. Every time I see you, you're in like a, a zoom fly or a next percent or an alpha fly. So I did wonder if you were doing 
all your running in shoes like that because a lot of people are now. Um, so I'm just always really fascinated by that versus whether you wear, were wearing like a more old school running shoe on any of your runs. Yeah, no, no. I hate, I've always really hated like flat shoes because like I like I, I feel then it makes me run like more back on my yeah, just like I just don't feel peppy whereas like clearly I love running in carbon shoes so <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel peppy and like even on a 30 minute you know run but I'm I'm kind of bummed that to find out that it actually is a carbon shoe which well whatever but it's not as fast as the uh next presents or alpha flies obviously so nowhere oh, near I'll, I'm not going to change anything. No, but that's, I think there's a point to this because the reason why I'm interested in this is because there is such a psychological factor to running and the footwear you're wearing, isn't there? Like feeling good when you run versus feeling shitty and like slow or like you said, like slow and on your heels when you run, it actually can have a massive impact on the way that you run and the way you like the amount of like excitement you have to go for a run and how you feel when you're doing a run. Like psychologically, there's something there with like the new shoes and, and the improvement in enjoyment and excitement when you're running in them. Oh, totally, totally. Like I I run like a different person in like a heavy pair of training shoes. Like I, I love just the like shape of the shoes that I run in that I'm just like, yeah, this is all I'll run in. Um, which actually, do you ever remember the peg turbos the nikes yeah so they're they're like fast but they're kind of unstable very unstable and i got like a little um like post-tib kind of soreness when i was um running in them and then i was like hearing little rumors of other people that were getting post-tib stuff and so i obviously stopped wearing them it went away and then like paula had some kind of run stuff and I was like zooming in on her like Instagram photos and I saw that she was wearing the peg turbos and I was like stop wearing those shoes it's the shoes <laughs> I was like some crazy person like zooming into like even a pro runner like Emily Infield had something and I was like zooming into her shoes I was like shit she's wearing the peg turbos <laughs> but uh yeah no I love I love all the Nike shoes just the not the peg turbos uh, and and you talked about your gym work. Have you always done gym work and is it important to you? Yeah. Um, so I actually like was working with um, a strength coach back in LA um, post navicular surgery, um, that, which was in 2018, I think. Yeah. And felt super strong kind of coming back from that. And um he he you know works with a bunch of pro sports and then um you know ended up not being in LA and I just like it I just dropped it really easily once the you know navicular was fine and everything else and um it's not like I would love doing it that I would just do it on my own um so yeah it's just something I dropped the ball on for the last couple of years and I reached out to Erin when I came to Boulder because like everyone works with her. I've heard so many great things about her. So um, yeah, just like, you know, now I've been at it for five weeks or so and yeah, just, you know, feeling stronger and stronger. And I, I realize when I haven't been doing it that just, you know, what a big difference making the time to do it really really makes but it's just so easy to drop it when you're you know you've got a full training week it's just like the first to go I feel like if 
if you don't keep on it. What do you think outside of consistency, which you've already clearly stated is the most important thing for you right now in your training to, to get back to not just being one of the best in the world, but being the best in the world like you have been at certain points in your career. Outside of consistency, what is the one thing that you think you need to, to just like either keep doing or, or need to like just do a little bit better in the next sort of, you know, in the very short-term future, in the next eight to 12 weeks to, to get to like Ibiza or um, the PTO US Open and win those races? Yeah. I mean, just, just my biking and swimming is just like, you know, the most important, like weirdly my running just was kind of unaffected for the last couple of years. Like I just running came really easily, but biking and swimming, I really struggle. So, you know, they're really the importance. I feel like biking's the most important for me because that's really where, where like my strength is, it should be. Um, and just like having a good swim. And so like, yeah, just, just the two, just like, you know, pushing them up as high as I can get them. Do you think with your bike, how much emphasis are you putting on the non-training side of things at the moment? Because I feel like the sport has taken a massive step ahead from like 2016, 2017, even 2019, to be honest. I think 2019 was the year it all changed where now everyone seems to be going quite crazy with their aerodynamics, their equipment choices, their body position, their their um, even things like their their sleeved tri suits. How much like how much time are you spending on that? Are you at the are you in a wind tunnel? You're at a velodrome. Are you working with someone on that? Yeah, I mean to be honest, the the one thing I'm really working on is just like bike fit. Um, like I just need to be biking the way I should be first and foremost and then like obviously just picking the and Elliot advises me on all bike stuff too he's like you know if he sees me doing something he's like oh you're you're losing so much time with this and you know everything he's he wants me to optimize but like first and foremost is like the focus is on training but yeah um bike fit now and like I would love to do some kind of wind tunnel um testing I've I've done velodrome in the past but it, I didn't really get as much out of it as I would want so I've probably learned a bit more in the meantime suits is been a real hot topic um I'm definitely have the intention to not wear a swimsuit uh next year and you know wear shorts and short sleeves really yeah yeah I mean <laughs> that's like the 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 like the swimsuit triathlon suit is iconic holly lawrence <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean i all of last year i wanted to wear a sleeve suit but i you know santini god bless her would make it they've made me so many sleeve suits <laughs> and I would like try it under my wetsuit and i'd feel so too restricted and then i'd go oh no I can't F it I'll wear the swimsuit you know um but we're just yeah like I've got a really long torso so it's like I've needed more length and more length and more length but like yeah I just that's something I just have to get over um yeah which obviously I you know I wasn't swimming the way I wanted to either it was like I don't know even how in the PTO race I kept on 
Flora's feet because like I just wasn't training very well even in in the pool so yeah that's something that I've that's yeah been been needing to be improved but yeah yeah definitely gonna be I put it out there I'm gonna be in a sleeve suit next year this year <laughs> yeah this year so at Oceanside you'll be racing in a sleeved suit <laughs> yeah I yeah when are you gonna <laughs> release that I mean we <laughs> Should be, should be. I'm putting it out there that 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 is the intention. If if stuff happens, it it happens. But <laughs> so yeah. this the suit is made and it's at your house right now. Well, I've got last year's version, but no, we're, we'll 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 have a new suit by then. But yeah, that's the main reason why I asked about the suits as well because. Yeah, that like every bit of research that I read and that I'm told by, you know, friends of mine who are involved in that world and creating those suits, it just it, like it's you read and you go, no, that can't be right with how many watts it saves. Yeah, I mean, it depends who you talk to. I mean, I remember in, uh, was it Collins Cup? Because Lionel's gone back to the sleeveless suit, right? Yes, he has. And because I remember like walking past him, I think we were both going interviews or something. And he was like, don't worry about the swimsuit thing. I tested uh, sleeves versus non-sleeves and it doesn't make any difference. So ignore everybody. And I was like, yes, like that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, that's called confirmation but- bias, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just like pull out what you want to hear. But no, like I think... I mean, even if it, if it is or it isn't, like I'm just fed up with people telling me <laughs> that I'm losing time in a swimsuit. And the novelty of wearing the swimsuit has passed. Like I first only wore the swimsuit because I think it was like Catfish, this company, made me a pink swimsuit um, to race in Malulabar. And I was like, fuck it, I'll wear this. Like my ass will probably be out and it'll like motivate me to ride faster. So like <laughs> it's kind of a joke. And then I got loads of love for it. And, you know, slow twitch went mad because I was wearing long black socks and a pink swimsuit. And it just like, I was like, all right, I, I got to give the people what they want. And <laughs> it kind of stayed, but it's tough. It's, it's a weird a weird thing to go to oh my ass will be probably will probably be out oh but the people loved it (laughs) well i i also do um paul phillips god bless him he's a photographer that's out on all the ironman races we have oh god you know a little agreement that if there's any indecent photos he burns them he's like yep you're good (laughs) <laughs> oh that's actually very very funny because i've never thought about it like that like that from you being the person wearing it what you're thinking about like oh, yeah that's <laughs> that's actually pretty funny um but not something you'll have to worry about in a in a tri suit i wonder like the swim yes but you i guess you can always like tuck it into your wetsuit like people do and then put it on afterwards but the run is the big thing like the more clothing you have on when you run the definitely the more restricted you feel. And like I always would feel restricted in a tri suit, the sleeve one. I couldn't like I couldn't find something that I wouldn't feel restricted in. And I think like I have a really long torso as well. And I want, I always wondered like how many people are feeling this same thing I'm feeling and just not speaking about it because everyone wears sleeve tri suits. Like surely other people are feeling restricted in these when they run. Do you feel that as well? 
I don't know. I've never got onto the run with the sleeve dried suit, so I can't, I can't comment. But um, I've always just liked, like, even in cold races, I'm like, if you have wet on your legs, like it, like that's, that keeps your legs cold. Whereas if you just have nothing, like your legs warm up quicker and people are like, you're insane. That doesn't make any sense. But I'm like, it makes perfect sense. And it just feels better. So like, I just have to get over it because clearly it's faster. And if I don't race faster, then I'll just go back to the swimsuit. But I'm going to be racing in sleeves this year. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm actually, I'm looking forward. I'll, I'll reshare that Instagram post when you reveal the suit. So make sure you do that on Instagram because I'm, I'm excited about that. That's uh, that's a big step for you. Um, I, I reckon that's that's probably pretty much it. Like there's so many more things I could talk to you about, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can convince you to come onto the PTO US Open build and you can talk about them all there. Um, I mean, the only other thing that, that I want to sort of talk about um, to wrap it up is just is a little bit about racing this year and the things that people don't really see because there's not a lot of live streams of, on races there's not a lot of people talking to professionals in races like this but I think you're someone who has always been a very good racer particularly over that middle distance and I don't think it gets thought about much because as as like the majority of people racing or age groupers, they're not involved in races. Even if they feel like they are, they're not really. Whereas the professionals are actually racing each other. And some people are great middle distance racers and some people aren't. And you see it a lot with like transitions from ITU guys to, to middle distance guys. Some people are really good at it. Some people aren't. And I've always felt like you're very race savvy at this particular distance. I don't know if it transfers to Ironman or short distance races. You haven't done a lot of that stuff um, relative to what you've done in the middle distance. Do you agree with that? And how big a factor do you think just your ability to be like sort of Gustav Eden in the way you race? Like, you know, like you always seem to make good decisions at like good times and you don't really, you don't really sabotage your own races by not being at the right spot at the wrong at the like not being at the right spot at the right time you always find yourself there when you don't race well it's sort of because i don't know you've just you haven't had a good build or you've like been super fatigued and you dnf or something like that but when you're there on a start line and fit and healthy you just always seem to be in the right place do you a do you agree with what i'm saying and b how big an impact do you think that will have on your racing this year given like that you seem to be pretty consistent and getting fit again yeah so I mean I I grew up doing short course racing which I don't know if you even know um and that's kind of when I went into 70.3 so I probably was a bit sharper than some people who were like you know Heather Wartel or whatever coming off like Ironman racing my my friend Meredith Gessler who sits down in transition and takes up wetsuit off. <laughs> um, and I'd be like racing with these people, obviously, who like are really terrible at transitions. Um, and so like, obviously my transitions and stuff seemed better than that, but now short course people are coming in. So now I'm like, oh, I'm a long way removed from that. Like I need to probably sharpen up. But, you know, the other kind of tactical stuff, there's not really anyone else to think about really other than like, you have your cards to play and like really, you know, swim bike and run as fast as you can. It's like, how are you going to 
be as fast as you can be. Yes, like there'll be, you know, moves and stuff that's made. And like, you know, this year on the, you know, 70.3 Worlds, there's a big bike pack and, you know, there's there are more tactics to play, but ultimately it's really your tactics to play. And I've kept true to what I can do. I mean, that's a prime example. In 2019, um, obviously it was like huge climb, huge descent. And that's like the bike course and like 10 miles out, 10 miles back flat. Um, and going into the race, it was more like, regardless of what happens for everybody else, I'm following my plan. And like my Garmin even popped off coming out of transition. So I was like, I didn't even have power. I was like blind. And I was like, okay, this is meant to be. But on the first little kicker, um on the climb like just before the climb um we had the plan like me and my coach Dean at the time it was like you keep that under control everyone is going to go you're just going to have to be okay with it and then like claw people back and at the time that's exactly what happened I just had to let people go because I'm like they're all going to blow themselves up I could do that yes am I going to do that no and had to watch everyone go it was like 10 people like Lisa Nord and everyone and then you know 10 15 minutes later I like repassed them all again and I'm like oh yes like I didn't know whether it was going to pay off but it was like this is my plan I am going to follow it to the letter and I think that's just what I've been good about whether it's like you know my nutrition plan I've got to get in this I've you know I'm just playing to my limits and and that's all I can really do. And that's where I'm going to get the best performances out of myself. Awesome. Great wrap up. Um, I, I've been, like I said to you, I've been wanting to have this chat for a long time because yeah, like I've loved, I've loved what you've done in the sport so far. And I've talked to a lot of people like yourself who have had like their best periods, like in that period, you know, like Patrick Lang last week, for example, but you're someone who to me it just doesn't feel like you're done with the sport. It feels like last year you could see, oh, like Holly is still one of the very best long course triathletes in the world. And it sort of made me, I guess I questioned it a little bit. Like, oh, what's going on with Holly? Is, is she sort of going to fall away here? But it seems to me like the opposite is going to happen. And this conversation has sort of cemented that where it seems like you're getting really consistent again. Your head seems in a fucking elite spot. You feel it took like talking to you you can hear that you're ready to have a massive year and like I've got no comp, like no doubt that you will. Um, so I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you become the best triathlete at that distance, even longer if you, if you wanted to again, like I think it's good for the sport having you Holly Lawrence at the front of these races. I think you make them exciting. I think you've got a great personality. You, you never give an interview where it's not inter it's like, it's boring. <laughs> it's always interesting you always speak what's on your hey, mind. What I should say, but yeah, I speak what's on my mind. And, exactly. You know, wear my heart close to my sleeve or whatever you say it. But yeah. Yeah. It's great for the sport. And like, that's why having you at the top of the sport again, getting back to being one of the very best in the world, not just the 10th or the ninth best in the world, but being the first or the second best athlete in the world. It's great for the sport. So, I mean, as a fan of you and a, a fan of the sport, I just want to reiterate that people love that about you. I love that about you. So 
getting you back at the top of the sport, please never be afraid to not say what's on your mind and, and make the sport fun for everyone because you are that person. And it's been an absolute honour having you on the podcast. And I can't wait to sit back and, and watch what you do this year. I'm, I'm really excited about it, particularly after this conversation. You've, you've given me a lot of confidence that we're going to have a good year from Holly Lawrence. All right. All right. That's, that's too much nice talk, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Um, no, I'm excited. I'm, you know, I, I got even a question last year from a sponsor that, you know, asked my agent who passed to me too, that, you know, am I, am I past my peak? And I was like, ouch. Yeah. Fair. But, uh, yeah, I don't think so. I'm, I'm like excited and I, I just want to race and get back to, you know, when I'm like super motivated and um, it's like enjoyable to push and I feel like I'm getting glimpses of that and it's exciting. So yeah, I just, I just hope to, yeah, have a good year and it's, yeah, it's exciting. Little bit of extra motivation as well, because if that question is getting its way to you, it means a lot <laughs> of people are saying it. So surely that's got to burn a little bit and give you that little bit extra when things get tough. Yeah, and I love proving people wrong. Great. All right, Holly. Thanks heaps for the chat again. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks heaps for your time. Yeah, thank you. Like I've been saying the past few weeks, if you're a triathlete and you're in Australia, you have to sign up to race Hell of the West on March 26th. Hell of the West is easily one of Australia's best long course triathlons. The swim is two kilometres, the ride's 80 kilometres, and the run is 20 kilometres. It's in Gundawindi in Queensland, so the weather will be nice and sunny, probably about 25 to 30 degrees. It's ran by local volunteers, but you go there and it feels exactly like a race organised by one of the bigger companies. It's been around for 32 years, so I guess it's really no surprise. It's so much cheaper than the bigger races as well, despite having the exact same feel. Like It literally just feels like you're at one of them. With the race being almost full, accommodation is actually getting a little bit hard to find. There's plenty of camping spots around if you and like your family or your friends want to make a weekend out of it. Um, and if you Google places to stay and ring them up, you might find something. But even if you can't, just make sure that you go and follow Hell of the West on Instagram. Support a local race that is doing so much to support Australian triathlon. They don't make that much money. It's, it's, it's like ran by volunteers who don't make any money from it. There's no big company making heaps of money out of you and constantly increasing prices just to make money and not really give you much more for it. So yeah, go and follow them on Instagram and consider locking them into your race calendar for next year's races and getting accommodation nice and early. Seriously, it's just one of those Australian triathlons you have to do as an Australian and it feels bloody good to be there and support the locals. 